0: The, uh, the hurricanes and the earthquakes, Hurricane Irma and the, the following one, Mexico City earthquake, these are the big headline events, aren't they, of our times at the moment? It's actually been recorded on average, um, I was reading in the press, it's been recorded on average that over the last 10 years, a natural disaster is occurring nearly every day around the world. Now, we, we get the big headline ones, but nearly every day, one Guardian reporter wrote this, uh, the world is lurching from one disaster to another. International Red Cross um, also recorded that in the last decade, nearly 2.6 billion have been adversely affected by natural disaster. That's nearly half the world. And if that's all too big and you kind of think, well, that's out there, distant and removed from me, let me just drag it a little bit more closer to home, just for us. Uh, The newspapers are awash with stories of tragedy, aren't they? Again and again and again, they pop up on your uh, you know your phones and all sorts of places a few friends of mine actually uh, liked uh, there's a slight irony is about liking stories of tragedy but let, let's move on from that there was a the story of a man who lost his wife and his baby within three hours of each other it was tragic and yet we like it it's very close to home but is, is life not like this <coughs> Personal disaster besets us all to some degree at some point. You may be sitting here and think, but it's not hit me yet, but it will. I think you know that. Question is, are you prepared? Or are you like you know, the mainstream, the population around us, who bury their heads in the sand, hoping that something like Lady Luck might just kind of pass by and, and make sure that they kind of a, 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 get, you know, avoid all of this? Obviously not. Let's not be naive. I mean, how do we react when the world in which we live crumbles around us or, or when the circumstances of our lives you know, cast a very, very big and dark shadow every, over every waking moment? Oh, it could be personal disaster for us. Earthquake, you know, hurricane. But how do those things make you feel? Uh, for most of us, I guess, uh, yeah, our first response is to ask the question, oh, Why? Why have these things happened? Why is the world like this? Why, as we turn on the televisions and see babies being dragged out of you know the rubble, motionless? It, why? Why does the world seem so seemingly cruel in that way? And then we get personal, don't we? Why me? If it's something that's happened to you, why now to me? Unfortunately, you see, we can't set our alarms for some things in our lives, can we? or put an event in our diary. I remember being on a a cliff top in Cornwall, this is a number of years ago, and you'll tell by this story about how old I am, but let's not go there. I remember the epicenter of a hurricane, Hurricane Charlie, it comes through, um, off the Atlantic and through Cornwall and up into London. I think it uprooted a tree somewhere in London and everyone got very upset about that. But I was in Cornwall as it hit the, the North Coast. And I remember waking up that morning to utter scenes of destruction. And no one had set their alarms uh, that the winds would destroy their homes. Farmers had not circled on their calendar, on their you know, the kitchen wall and said, I better put all the livestock in the barn tonight. There was just no warning about the severity of it. Now We may feel secure in this country to a degree for which I think we should be very thankful because we are in many ways relatively safe. But that personal safety we enjoy protected by the law, upheld by a democracy in which we live, that personal safety must not blind us to the fact that none of us knows what is around the corner for each of us. No one tells you that you'll be getting cancer in three months. No one tells you that your house will be ripped apart by a Category 5 hurricane in a year. And so how do we respond when disaster does strike? Post Hurricane Irma, a BBC poll was—it was on the uh, the website there. It was—it uh, suggested that 44% of us respond as we watch news on, you know, of, of devastation around the world. 44% of us respond with a similar kind of fear. We look at the situation and think, what if it was us? And we don't like to admit it, and we try and hide from it, we try and suppress that in our lives. But the struggles of our lives, the personal disasters that beset us, bring about one obvious response, don't we? We are afraid. And we live in a seemingly cruel world, but I hope as we look at Jesus now, today, in his word, we begin to see some answers that provide some hope. Look with me down at verse 23. Let's have dive our heads into the text if we can. Look at verse 23. Then he got into a boat and his disciples followed him. He's speaking of Jesus here. And then without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. Now, I know many of you, some of you have already decided I'm going to switch off because I know this story. I've probably taught it to my friends, the little kids, you know. We know this. we probably sung, we sung songs already. Let's, we know, no. Let's dig deep. One of my greatest ambitions in life, it's not gonna happen, but I'd love to sail around the world. You know, on those massive yachts, and that would be amazing, wouldn't it? Especially if I got one leg of a round-the-world yacht race, I'd, I'd go for the Southern Ocean. From the Cape that some of you know relatively well, uh, to Perth on the west coast of Australia. Uh, it, it's, it's insane, I know, because the waves can, you know, be like six stories high. And many, many an arrogant sailor has been humbled in those waters. I don't think it's a too dissimilar parallel here. The furious storm on the lake that we read in our passage today would have been terrifying. Look at verse 25. Lord, save us. We are going to drown. Absolute surety there. We are going to drown. It's well known that the violent squalls in there and the storms, they do develop very, very quickly in the Sea of Galilee. If you know, it's 200 metres below sea level. And uh, the ambient temperature means that hot air rises very quickly. If you know anything about sailing, that's good in some ways because it gives you big wind very quickly. That's why the world's windsurfing championships are held on the Sea of Galilee about once every five years, just incidentally. But there we go. But these are people not on a pleasure cruise, Going out for a quick windsurf, you know, for a bit of fun. Also, this is not you or I who have little experience on big seas. These are hardened men. Some of them who would be fishermen. They've been out on that lake all the rest, all their lives. They know this. And in their summary, they're going to get. They, we're going to drown. We are going to drown. Now, in a sense, this is their Hurricane Irma, isn't it? This is their Mexico City earthquake. This is their cancer, if you like. This is their disaster. They're looking in the face of death. We are going to drown. It's their turn to feel the pain of this li- living in this world. But why is the world like this? Well, the answer really isn't in the passage before us. But I think it's important we very briefly deal with it. Because how do you understand... What goes, around, uh, goes on around in this world? How do you explain that to your friends when they ask you, you know, Hurricane Irma, what, what, how do you make sense of that? You know, if, we, if we live just in an evil and bad world, which is chaotic and messy, how do you therefore explain all that's good? You, know, you look at the sunset on a beautiful summer's evening, you look at the, the kind of alpine splendor of some of the Alps that some of you have been to over the summer. You know, you see, we have to understand and explain a world where at the same moment you can look with and see beauty and joy and happiness and good. But at that same moment, in the same breath, you can turn 180 degrees and you can see death, pain, and destruction. See, we have to, if you just think about this, you have to be able to go up to a a family in a Caribbean island who have lost everything and you've got to look them in the eye and you have to explain to them why over one shoulder there is the most beautiful sunset which seems so beautiful and controlled and joyful and brings joy to your heart. But yet over their other shoulder there is a pile of rubble under which... There is one of their children who is now lying motionless and dead. God, you see, has made this world with value and meaning and beauty. It was perfect. But the Bible shows us very clearly that mankind has rejected God corporately. That is true. And we know that is true in each of our hearts every day. And as creatures who have rejected our creator and God. <laughs> the Bible shows us that he has lovingly. Um, well he has lovingly showed us in his word the Bible. That he has condemned this world to frustration. This world as we see in Romans 8 for example. Verse 17 onwards is groaning in that frustration. And it looks and feels chaotic. Chaotic. And it is part of God's judgment on all of us. Now, we've got to be really careful at that point, haven't we? Because we've got to look in the eye of that family in the Caribbean. And we can say that God is judging, yes, the world as a whole. But we must be careful not to say that he is specifically judging them at that moment. And this sits with our reality. For we know the joy of this world... It's beauty, it's order, because God made it that way for us to enjoy. And we still appreciate that today. But on the other hand, we also know it's pain, we know it's chaos, we know it's frustration, which is explained. Because we live in a world that is under God's judgment. It is subjected to frustration. And that's what I think we see a little little glimpse of in our story today. First point, evidence of a world under judgment is on your sheets there. You see, like the story, um, the, the storm in our story, like the recent hurricanes and earthquakes, this is evidence that not everything is right in this world. We live in a world under the judgment of God, that just judgment of God. And the disciples are facing death in this boat. And that may seem alien to us, but it is closer to our reality than perhaps we realize. Because we will all face storms in this life. We will all see and experience God's judgment on and in this world. As we fa- and also we will also face the greatest storm, namely death itself. We will all face God's just judgment. That BBC poll, the 44% looking at disaster, responding with fear. It, it, is, the re- the, it is the appropriate response, isn't it? For we live in a world under judgment. And look at the fear in the disciples, their, their appropriate response. Look at verse 25. Disciples, they went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. Look how he replied, verse 26. You have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the wind and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. This is a little bit of a test for you. Just, you know, something for you to do later on, perhaps in the day. Run yourself a bath. You know, go back to your sort of toddler kind of feelings. and Get a squall going in the bath. You know, just just for a moment. Just have a little bit of fun. If you want bubbles as well, you know, go for it. But then, when you've got a good squall going on in the bath, just try it. Take your hands out and just say, stop. See what happens. See how much control you have with your voice. Well, Jesus speaks, doesn't he? Look at it, it's extraordinary. He speaks to the waves as if they were a child. He rebukes them, it says. Now, I challenge you, you know, if you want to spend a, a day with a toddler, for example, just, you know, for another illustration, you know, well, I'm sure one of the parents of a toddler here will be very, very happy to pass their toddler for, to you for a day. Just you know, just try it, and ask them. You know, go go. Spend a day with a toddler. Just say stop on something, and you will see very quickly how ineffective your command of your voice is. Oh, Jesus rebukes the waves and he just says, "Stop, stop." Imagine the disciples, just for a moment, at one second they are clinging to the side of the boat, these hardened uh, fishermen, some of them, and and the next moment they're getting out the sunblock and they're sailing on a mill, mill pond. Of course, I've added a little bit of artistic license there, but you get the picture. Waves that are about to kill them, gone by the word of a man. Hence verse 27, uh, the men were amazed. They asked, you know, what kind of man is this? It's an obvious answer question, isn't it? Even the wind and waves obey him. What kind of man can do that? Well, the Bible's pretty clear. Psalm 89, for example, verse 9 says, you, speaking of God, rule over the surging sea. When its waves mount up, you still them. God can still them. What kind of man is this? It's God in human flesh. Oh, some cynics would say, wouldn't they? You know, there are many that could have and would be able to, you know, to do what Jesus has done here. You know, you can imagine the magicians and the, you know, those illusionists and so on, the faith healers. Did you ever notice how those three categories of people, how quiet they were when Hurricane Irma came to Florida? They claim so much, don't they? They claim so much power, yet I didn't see them on the shores. Telling Irma to go back. The difference you see is phenomenal, isn't it? One is just an entertainer, an illusionist, and so on. And what is God? One is God in human flesh, the controller and sustainer of creation. Oh, we've seen therefore, uh, you know, evidence—just a small piece of evidence of the, of the world under judgment. Our first point. But Jesus controls; he brings. Apparent chaos to order. And this is what? This is evidence, second point, that Jesus is king of the world. He's in control. He has all the power. With a word he can calm the storm. And notice, it's interesting, isn't it? There is evidence to look at. The Christian faith is not that blind leap of faith, which some criticise it for being. It is faith in a man, historically evidenced, uh, a historically evidenced man, as we see here, in this eyewitness account that is verifiable by others. A man who averted disaster with a word, who brought order and life with a word. Third point, very quickly, we're going to move on. Evidence of a future perfect world. And we've seen in the story, haven't we, uh, that uh, creation seems to be out of control. It's under God's judgment, subjected to frustration, from Romans 8. And the disciples, they're about to drown, but with a word, God, incarnate in the man Jesus, rebukes creation and the disciples, they're rescued. Momentarily. Momentarily rescued from the brokenness and chaos of this world. For a moment in time, these men on a boat on the Sea of Galilee, in a sense, what they're doing is they're they're seeing the world as it ought to be. Ordered. Without destruction and pain. For a moment, the world is as it was created. It was right and it was good. Now, of course, it doesn't last for these men. It wasn't universal in that way. But what we have in this fleeting moment is a glimpse. It's a little snapshot looking to the future of what it will be like Jesus is the king and his power reaches over all of creation but in this demonstration of his power we're also given a sneak preview of his eternal rule and reign you get a taste of what is to come and it's not a fake it's not an illusion I don't know what I think about your favourite film one of my favourite films is the Thomas Crown Affair love that film it's a it's a it's simply a tale of fake versus the real. There's a Rembrandt that's stolen, a great painting from an art gallery, and the film is dedicated to finding the real piece amongst the many fakes and illusions. A very clever little film. And Jesus is not kind of uh, bringing out and showing us a copy, a fake of what he's promised. Here he's giving us a glimpse of his real control and power, the real thing order. Jesus has promised that he will come back and he will put this world right. But he doesn't just promise it here and say it with words. He he demonstrates it. He actually walks out here, doesn't he? And he shows control, power that he has and rule and reign that is perfect. And gives us a demonstration of the beauty of that. In the middle of this hurricane-damaged, earthquake-ravaged world... In this moment on the Sea of Galilee, we get to see the brokenness gone. And the world in that place was put right. Just for a moment. It's a little taste of what is to come. The rescue to come. You have to ask yourself, do you want it? Are you sure you've got it? Watching the news this last month, you know, at times it's been uh, quite harrowing, isn't it? Hasn't it? But at the same time, it's been quite heartwarming, hasn't it? It, it, it? You get those moments where people are rescued out of the rubble in Mexico City, and all the all the rescues—they put their hand up, and everyone goes quiet, and they listen for a voice, and they, they pull the rubble away, and they they find someone who's still alive. It's so heartwarming! It's brilliant. It was school time, wasn't it, when the earthquake struck and some suggest, you know, in in Lil's pockets, you know, a generation might be gone from that kind of area in Mexico City. A few were survived. A few were pulled out. A few were rescued. But you see the difference. What's the difference between how Jesus rescues and how desperate humans rescue? You see, what we do is we have to pull people out of disaster. We rescue people from a situation. What does Jesus do? Well, look what he does. Does he have x-ray vision, you know, kind of like see into uh, the rubble of, you know, kind of uh, stuff? And does he possess an intuition and be kind of an early warning kind of to avoid disaster? No, that's kind of making Jesus to be like a superhero with a cape. No, he's God. Jesus stands in the middle of disaster and he just says, stop. He doesn't escape from the disaster. He stops it. He transforms this world into what it's supposed to be. And it's a complete rescue. And, the, and one day the Bible tells us uh, that Jesus will stand up and he will speak and all disaster will stop. There'll be no more hurricanes ripping through communities, no more earthquakes, no call from a family relation to say that mum has died. Jesus will rescue this world and transform it to become new, disaster free, without pain, only sunsets, no piles of rubble crushing your children. And if you don't believe me, look at the evidence here. It was completely calm. It was completely calm. It's evidence of a future perfect world. Lastly, let's very quickly just think about our response as we close. I wonder, is there evidence in our lives that we have faith in this King Jesus and his future kingdom? Last point, evidence of our faith in the King. Let's remind ourselves of those last two verses. Just cast your eyes down to verse 26. He replied, you have little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and he rebuked the wind and the waves. It was completely calm. These men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. You see the two responses of the disciples? Two possibilities, I guess, in our response as well. Two obvious, very natural responses to Jesus. It's either faith or it's fear, isn't it? Their response relies on what is more, in a sense, big to them. What's what's real, the the more present thing in their heart and their minds at that moment? Is it disaster? Does that feel more real to them? Or is it Jesus, the one who brings peace and the one who brings calm? At that moment, Jesus is the one who's demonstrated he's king of all that they can see. But also what they haven't seen as well. Which is more real? They, they've, they've got to ask that question, haven't they? Is it storm or is it Jesus? Which is bigger in their hearts? Is it the storm or is it Jesus? What's consuming their minds? Is it that storm right in front of their eyes or is it Jesus? Oh, the disciples have some faith. At least they turn to Jesus in this moment. But look at our he responds. It's quite cutting, isn't it? You of little faith. Now oh, Jesus sees that they have some faith, but only little faith. Facing a storm, fearing death, it, it is consuming them. Fear of disaster and the storm that is battering them on sea is, is so much bigger in their heart and mind than the power that, the, that stands before them in Jesus. But notice the kindness of Jesus here. Look at what he does. <clears throat> He calms the storm and in so doing he provides evidence of who he is and what he has come as and to do. And this evidence alongside I guess all the other evidence that these disciples have been eyewitnesses to uh, over many uh, kind of weeks it seems helps them begin to see Jesus is who he claims to be. He's the son of God, the king of this world. And this evidence grows their little faith, as we see in verse 27. Uh, It's just a little step. They're amazed. Now this amazement, we must be clear, it's, it's not a sign that they completely understood who Jesus is. Clearly not. But it is a beginning. They're beginning to see and understand Jesus for who he really is. And the mess of this world is getting smaller in their minds and their hearts. And Jesus is getting bigger. And literally, that word is, is that they marvel at him. Jesus is becoming more real to them than the storms of this life. Fear or faith. Of course, before we answer that ourselves, we have to know what we are putting our faith in. For example, there's, there's no promise here or anywhere else uh, in the Bible that putting your faith in Jesus will make your life easy. This passage isn't saying Jesus will avert every trouble that you ever come across in your life. It's not saying that. Your life will not be disaster free, pain free, suffering free. Jesus doesn't promise uh, to rescue us out of disaster and pain right now, but there, he gives us a glimpse of what is to come. You might die in an earthquake. Uh, Whatever uh, the day you take your last breath, you know you you might face all sorts kinds of suffering. But when you take your last breath, if your faith is in Jesus, you can live every day now, knowing that Jesus will completely rescue you. He will say, "Stop," and the trouble and the pain and the the, the disaster will end. I wonder, do you trust Jesus for that kind of rescue? When you look at the destruction of hurricanes and earthquakes, what do you feel? Do you look at them and just turn on the news and go, oh, I don't want to watch that too much, I might get a little bit too depressed about that. Or do you look and see how awful God's judgment is, but at the same time be assured that one day Jesus will say a final stop If you get a call this weekend uh, from a relation saying a family member has weeks to live as cancer finds its next victim, what do you say to yourself? Tragic though that is, and tears will fall, of course. Do you say that your world will collapse without them? Or do you think, dreadful as that it would be, I know there is a new world coming for those who have faith in Jesus Christ. You have to ask yourself, what's more real to you? What's bigger in your heart and your mind? This world, its pain, its disasters? Or King Jesus and his eternal kingdom? When Jesus died on a cross, he offered us new life, a new way of thinking, a new hope, and the key... His faith in Him. Put your faith in Him. We're all like the disciples in a way, aren't we? We have little faith, but so look to Jesus. That's the point here. Be amazed by Him, but we must not leave it there. Let the amazement lead you to life saving faith in the one who can calm the storm with the word. Put your faith in him now. Trust him with your life and trust him with your death too. Let's pray. What kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Lord God and Heavenly Father, we thank you that we know that the man Jesus He's also your son, the one with all power, eternal dominion, the king of your eternal good kingdom. And we pray that we would put our faith in him so that he would be able to gather us as his, his people to be with him in eternity forever. Amen.